Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Wendy Ryan on the line. Wendy, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Michael? I am great. Thank you for being here today. So you've got a brand new book coming out really soon called Learn, Lead, Lift. So I always ask this of authors that I interview on the show, why in the world would you give up so much of your life to write a book? Uh, because it's a time-consuming endeavor. I know I've, I've written a few of them myself, and it is it's not something you can do over a weekend, at least for a book that you want to send to print and publishing and all of that kind of stuff. So tell us a little bit about you and, and the book and, and, and the process that went behind it. Sure. Well, I've been working in the field of leadership development for over 20 years. Prior to that, I was in human resources. And so I've always had a, a strong orientation toward people toward um, organizational coherence, you know, how, how do all the pieces fit together and how do we, how do we together be successful? And as I started nearing my uh, 50th birthday uh, a couple years ago, I had an opportunity to really think about wh- wh- what, what do I do now? right? What, what's the next and, and what's a good way to sort of celebrate this milestone? And I, it really came up for me, this idea of lifting up some of the stories from the work I'd done with people. And, and when you do this work in leadership development, the thing is that you, you learn from your clients, you know, they're really the ultimate teachers of, of what we do. And so I said, how do I lift that up and celebrate that and honor all the people that I've learned from and also advance the conversation that I have with myself in my own head, you know, from time to time, how do I, how do I draw that out and make that useful to more people other than me? So that was really the genesis of the book. And, the way it's structured is really a series of interviews and conversations with people and mixed in with some of my own stories and anecdotes. And so it's a very, uh, it's looking at leadership through a real world lens. What do people that we don't always think of as leaders say about leadership? So for example, if I'm an artist or I'm a music teacher, or I'm a parent. What do I have to say about leadership? So, one, congratulations on the book. I know that it's important, and especially I love the having leaders talk about what leaders are thinking and saying, because too often... You, know, you can go into any bookstore and you can hit up the leadership section and you see just tons and tons of books. Lots. And and some of them, you know, spoiler alert, are written by ghostwriters, um, and some are written by the leaders from their perspective. But it's a one-sided view. So a book like this, where you have multiple voices talking about leadership, really gives people a really good angle. Because I know in in my own leadership journey, there were leaders that I followed and emulated, you know, not everything that they did, but certain things. It was literally like, okay, I'm going to make a new 
dish, if you're using a kitchen analogy, where I'm going to take some of these ingredients, I'm going to take some of these, and I'm going to make this, and I really hope it tastes good. And with the same thing with the, you know developing my own leadership, so I knew what resonated with me. I knew certain things that didn't, and I just took kind of what I felt was the best of each of these mentors that I've had, and I continue to do so. And when I you know discover either new leadership techniques from leaders I followed for a long time or discover brand new leaders that I have never heard of before and some other philosophies and, and things of that. And of course, over time, things change. But in, in speaking of times changing, at the time of this recording, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So Yes, we are. So this is, this is one of those pinnacle moments in the history of the human race where leadership is critical because organizations are trying to figure out what do we do, where do we go, how do we look when this pandemic is over, what have we learned from these things, what can we implement, what can we improve on, Um, can we survive there's so many things going on and I'm hearing cases of leaders all across the globe that are really stressed right now because they're looking for answers and the questions really haven't been asked completely yet. And they're, they're trying to figure out how to do things. So it's the the timeliness of this book is, is critical. So what are some lessons that are in the book that you think that'll be, rock solid applicable to the challenges that leadership is facing right now in 2020? Uh, I love this question. And I I think what I want to say first is I actually stopped writing the book. I, I was almost done with the manuscript and I literally stopped and took a pause when, when COVID hit and we shut down here in the Bay area in March, I said, I can't finish the book right now because I need to pause and I need to, one, do other things for our clients and our business to pivot like all other leaders are trying to pivot. But two, it was really important to me to take that pause, be able to come back to it this summer and say, does this stuff really apply still? Like, has the world shifted so much? Are we shifting so much that any of this is going to make sense to someone reading the book in 2022. And I think for me, that was really important. It was part of finishing this with a real sense of integrity around what I was going to put out. And fortunately, in, in picking that back up this summer, looking through what we had written, I uh, did a couple more interviews. And I really feel like it is something that will carry forward in a useful way and hopefully age well, you know. Um, the, the basic framework of the book is that we think about leadership in three ways. We think about your mindset. So what do you think? How do you think? We think about skills in the sense of what do you know or know how to do? And then we think about behaviors, which is the the net result of those things. How do you show up to others? And the interesting thing about all of the interviews I've done is that there were themes that came up again and again around what does great leadership look like for you? Who are some great leaders that you've worked with that 
was consistent whether someone was, again, a, a gay artist or a high-powered, you know, female executive, it, all walks of life. In the behavioral category, for example, one thing that came up again and again was humility. The ability to say, it's about we. What, what can we achieve together, not just I? And that is so true for today in this pandemic. Leaders have to be willing to cultivate that humility to say, you know what? I don't really know exactly what to do here, but we're going to figure this out together because I believe in this team and that's okay. It's going to be okay. So that steadiness, that humility was something that people have valued uh, again and again. Yeah, it's a common trait I've seen with the leaders that I have followed is, you know, they're transparent as best they can. I mean, there's certain things they don't want to share, and I completely understand that privacy is important, but they're transparent with the struggles that they've faced and that they're facing, and they bring in others, and it shows that level of humility and not necessarily making themselves vulnerable because if they've got employees that want to attack their leaders that way, especially if they're a strong leader, then those employees need to either change their behavior or change you know, where their zip code is, where they work, because that's not <laughs> going to be beneficial to anybody, quite frankly. Right. And right. on the flip side, you know, there are some really bad leaders that, you know, should be, um, using a Jack Welch term, dehired. Um, and we, we <laughs> or freed up to the market. <laughs> exactly. We're going to let you fly away. And here, here's, yeah, that, yes, that's our foot kicking you out the door. That's, um, just to make sure that you, 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 you completely exit. Yeah. But uh, it's important because when there's communication and it's open and people understand where the leadership's coming from and there's that dialogue between everybody, it makes it easier, one, to get buy-in. Uh, you, you may not get 100%, but at least you get consensus. So you know that the majority of the team is willing to go into this particular direction. And in times like these, I, I tell people all the time, so you just give it a shot. You know, this is one of those weird times where unless it would shut down your business, if you try this particular project or test per se, this is the perfect time to try it because I think everyone understands we are in this weird time frame where everything is in flux. So that's a great time to innovate. You know, I've, I've spoke with a few people recently on this time is the perfect time to innovate, whether it's your leadership skills, your organization, things you're doing. Why not? We're in the middle of a pandemic. All bets are off. Go for it. You know, yes. we, we don't know when things are going to open back up again and what it's going to look like. Uh, it definitely won't be normal. I don't think anything is going to be the way that it was uh, in a grand scheme of things. Yes, there's going to be behaviors and patterns, but there's going to be new ways of doing things, new realities of things. And how can your organization or your leadership take advantage of these things so you can lead better and smarter and navigate through whatever challenges we face? Uh, because this one, this one's a pretty big one for organizations and leaders. I, this is, I hope, 
you know, the, the last pandemic that we see in our generation uh, and, and hope that these lessons will make things better for all of us going forward. Uh, well said, Michael. I think, you know, the other, in addition to the innovation opportunity, which I agree with, I think this is a, a fantastic time to innovate. I hope we carry forward this idea and this mindset around people first in the sense we talk in the book about uh, that being a really important mindset for people. And again, something that came up very consistently in our interviews were, and I say our because even though I wrote the book, again, my orientation is everything is a team. And, and I always think of what I do as being part of a, a we or an us. But the, the idea of people first is that we often think more as leaders about what has to get done. We think about the task, but we don't think about the who behind the task. We don't think about, wow, who could learn something new if they were involved in this, right? It's a developmental opportunity. Or what's going to be the impact on people, not just for my customers, but what about the impact on my team, on my staff, if we take this particular action, right? So that's something I think a lot of leaders have had some practice at during the pandemic because they've had to think about things like, huh, maybe it is okay if people are working from home and that's actually better for them. Great. You know, that's a way we can put people first that, that maybe we were hesitant to do before. So I really hope that's something that carries, carries through and, and outlives the pandemic and just becomes part of our, our new thinking about how we lead had a conversation with a guest earlier today on this and they were talking with a CEO and that organization has made the decision that they are going to virtualize their operations. So they're going to get out of their office lease. Um, I wish them luck. I, I've tried to do that before. It's not easy, but no. uh, we'll see. Maybe they can sublease it or something like that, but we'll see what the market plays out. But in the story, they said, okay, yeah, we're going to have this. Everyone's working from home, but we're still going to have a space for people to come in and socialize with each other as employees. The work is going to be done when they're at home or wherever they're working remotely. But we're going to have these social interaction pods or gatherings so people can come and go and interact with their coworkers on things because it goes back to the water cooler conversations or lunchtime conversations. That's when a lot of things get worked through. And when we're working remotely, sometimes we can get into these silos and there's, there's a social interaction with work. It's not just come in, put widgets together, go home, don't interact, don't be a human, be a robot kind of thing. And we all know that does not work well for our mental and physical health. We are interactive creatures. And I think that's, again, a side challenge of, of this pandemic and the quarantine that we were in for so long was we weren't physically interacting with people. Yes, Zoom calls, phone calls, texts, all that kind of stuff. But that's not the same. It's there's there's differences in that. So, and I know an organization I was part of several years ago that virtualized. Uh, I'm thinking five years ago now, and a good colleague of mine there, he made it a point. He's like, I need to go and be with people because otherwise, I would be 
in my home office all day and then be in my home, you know, for the rest of the time and, and not see a human being for two or three days, even on, you know, other than phone calls and Zoom calls. And I said, that is not good for me. And I said, that's true. You're not, you need to get out and do something. So I told them, you know, work, work from a shared office space or a coffee shop or things like that, just so you get that social activity. So that organization, I don't know who it is, but that's a great model for them to do if they're going to virtualize their operations completely, still have some type of a place where people can gather and interact with their coworkers in a way that they can collaborate on some things, brainstorm, or just hang out for you know, half a morning or half an afternoon or something because the work's going to get done. We've proved it. Totally agree. And you know, we talk in the book about the fact that humans and human systems are biological, not mechanical. And we're not designed to just constantly produce. We're designed to focus for a while, produce a piece of work, and then we need that period of rest and regeneration. And some of that, especially for those of us who are more extroverted, some of that regeneration absolutely depends on connection and interaction with people. And so to me, that's just ultimately smart business to have a design like that where you just recognize that and say, how do I care for this human system that ultimately the success of our business absolutely depends on? And that's a great example of doing that. So what's your favorite part of the book? What's one chapter that when you read it, you're like, okay, I'm really happy that that turned out the way it did. I, I love that question. Uh, I think my favorite chapter in the book is the chapter that appears in the skill set section, which is kind of in the middle of the book, and it's where we talk about inspiring and including. And one of the, the quotes, every, every chapter has a lead-in quote from an interview and then some other you know, anecdotes throughout. And the lead-in quote is from a woman named Kiki Mwiti, and she's the CEO of Divid, which is a venture, uh, venture matching venture fund um, firm for to, to basically make that process colorblind and genderblind. So, what Kiki said, and and the quote that I just love there is, she said, "I didn't realize I was a black woman." until I came to this country. She's from uh, Africa and she immigrated here. And so we talk in that chapter about lots of issues that we're talking about right now around equity and inclusion. And the fact that leaders have a specific obligation to advance that. And there's clearly a business case. There's a big financial case for doing that. But there's also really a, a moral and I would say a spiritual case for doing that as well. And so I think that chapter, writing that to me felt very authentic, not just to who I am, but also as, yes, this this has to be here. This has to be part of this work. And I hope that that is contributing in a really constructive way to the larger conversation that we're having. Yeah, even, you know, that 
chapter alone is is timely with what's going on. You and obviously, when you wrote it, you know it may not have been, you know, when all of the things that we've seen over the last couple of months came out. But it was it's it it's funny how books do that. They're, they 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 kind of land when they're supposed to land, and and they they have this life of their own, and they connect with people with the challenges that they're facing at this moment in time. And you know, as an author, you, you can't ask for a better gift to yourself than that is like, okay, this book actually is going to impact people's lives in ways that you probably haven't even seen yet because when you, you put it out there and it starts reading someone reads it and they say, Oh yeah, I love how you talk about this and this is how it helped me. And you're like, that wasn't the intent of that, but wow, that actually worked out well. So that's that's awesome. So, in closing, you know, for, for leaders that are, and I know we've alluded to this and talked about it a little bit already, but for leaders that are looking for the next six months, trying to figure out, okay, what should I do? You know, what are some things that they should really focus on on their own leadership that'll make it a little bit easier to navigate all the uncertainty that we're facing over these next few months. Uh, great. I, I think the the number one thing on my list of my wish list for leaders would be self-awareness. This is a great time for a lot of people because they are home a lot or they're not necessarily in their typical routine to do some of the work that you probably have been avoiding or putting off well-intentioned, but really necessary to show up as the best leader you can be, which is working on being aware of how you show up to other people, being aware of your own emotions. Self-awareness is the underpinning for so many things that that make us successful in leadership and in life. So I think that would be my biggest wish for people. And for some of us, that's going to take us down the path of working on issues that have to do with systemic racism, how we feel about, again, the current conversation that we're having. But it's really even more basic than that for so many people. It's really just getting in touch with themselves, how they're wired, how they show up. And that's the, that's the foundation for everything, I think, in terms of getting better from here. That's a great, great list. And I think it will impact leaders and make every leader better if they do that self-work and really get in tune with, with who they are, what motivates them. And, you know, the, so that can basically highlight, you know, the best ways that they can lead themselves so they can be the best leader they can be. So what I've loved our conversation today, where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing? Thank you. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Wendy Ryan. And my company is Cadabra. We uh, were had a different name. We're in the process of, of rebranding, uh, which is very exciting for us. So our website right now is www.sjleadershipcoach.com. And we'll be coming back soon with wearecadabra.com. So that will be exciting. That's awesome. And congratulations. I've been through rebrands before and it's a lot of work, but it, it's a, it's a rebirth, you know, and it's, you know, it, it takes 
the legacy of what you've done, but added the things that, you know, I, we want this organization to do this. And we felt it was strong enough to do a rebrand to really capture the moment on that. So congratulations for that. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Wendy, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you looking forward to reading this book when it comes out. And uh, I highly encourage the audience to, you know, pick up a copy as well. Yeah. Once it's available. So thanks again, Wendy. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.